But it's it's going into reading scripture, like, speak to me what you want it to say to me today. Yes. And not to be a Pharisee where I'm reading this already assuming I understand it. Yes. You have to be so intentional about that. You're listening to If That Makes Sense, it's Family Life's podcast where we talk about what life is like following Jesus. Right now we're following him through the book of John and we love to have you along. My name's Tim, I work in Family Life's radio department. I'm Tately and I'm in the events department. My name is Jesse and I work in the radio department. We say this every time, and if you listen to every episode, it probably sounds boring. But it's important to remember that these episodes hopefully stand on their own. You don't really have to have listened to the whole book of John up to this point to really track with where we're going. Hopefully you'll get something out of it, whether you've listened all along or it's your first time listening. And uh, it's more of Jesus versus the Pharisees, which is kind of a consistent theme in the book of John. But there's more than just that going on in this chapter. So... We're reading John chapter 7, verses 25 through the end of the chapter and 52, uh, (laughs) asterisk. Some manuscripts include verse 53. We're not touching on that today. (laughs) Come back for next episode. But uh, so there's good stuff for today, though. Um, Jesse, do you want Uh to start us off, my friend? I can do that. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet, when many of the people believed in him, they said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. 
Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. I feel like I say this every episode, but we're, I really, really believe John wants us to be thinking about how we respond to Jesus. Maybe I'm jumping ahead of ourselves, though, to talk about the we application part. John's showing us over and over again, like, people's different responses to Jesus. And that's almost all that's happening in the book is Jesus is showing up and people are saying, I think this, I think this. Like even at the beginning of this, you get a lot of, there, there, there's like disagreement among the people. Mm-hmm. Well, who do you think he is? Who do, who do you think he is? There's a strange relationship between the, the heart and intellect when it comes to people accepting Christ because there are people with not a lot of education, just everyday common people. They've probably heard the scriptures read before, but they they probably haven't memorized them. They're not going to libraries where they can read all these things. And even Gentiles too uh, will come to Christ and ask for healing and yeah. he's amazed by their faith. And then you have these scholars who know all of the text and know all the prophecies and should be the guys that are immediately like, oh, but this guy's the one. And they completely miss him because of this prejudice, like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can any prophet come out of Galilee? Come on. And uh, it's it's interesting how some people just kind of latch onto him Im- immediately. And it's more of a heart connection than a mind one. Yeah. I think also they had this image of who the Messiah was stuck in their head for so long. And it wasn't completely a correct one. They had this mm. vision of this person just kind of Boof into the scene, causing a ruckus, being super powerful and majestic. And they, the Jewish people at that time really did believe that he would somehow just appear. Hmm. Um, wow. And one of the reasons is like different statements in the Bible, like Malachi 3 1, where it says God's messenger will suddenly come to the temple. They took that so literally of just like, boof, he's here. Wow. And I think it's kind of a. I think people were so focused on the awestruck power of the Messiah, which is accurate, that they had a hard time coming to the grips with the part that he was also human. And the idea of someone being born and being a baby and having to grow up in a town and all of this, it was, it's such a human thing that I think they were like, well, we know where this guy comes from. How, how can he be the Messiah? That's so human. Yeah. And I think that's an element to it as well, is we want to be odd. And and yeah. we also want to stick to what we thought we understood the scriptures to be. Mm. And we hold that. <laughs> and then here comes this vagabond wearing <laughs> the same sandals he's been wearing for the last few years, <laughs> yeah. dragging these guys all around the countryside. Yeah, he wasn't what they expected. He wasn't a superhero. I mean, he was, but he wasn't the superhero yeah. that they wanted. Not the hero that, yeah. Um, I'm not going to quote Dark Knight. <laughs> no but you had the chance. But I had the chance. No, that's the, that is that is the best point. I love that. That he was maybe just like literally he was dirtier than they expected. I don't mean Jesus was dirtier than your average person necessarily. I just mean like the fact that he was just a person from now that's got an asterisk next to it. And I'll, you know, because he's not just just a person. 
Uh, he's also God. But the fact that he was literally born, like mm-hmm. you said, Tately, he was born. He was born in a town that's not impressive. And then the other thing that you also touched on and I think is so interesting here is they had an interpretation of scripture that they held to so tightly that when it came to it, God was in front of them. And they said, uh, sorry, you're not the one we're looking for here. See, we have the word of God that we're going by <laughs> and you don't check all the boxes. Well, first of all, he did check all the boxes, but he didn't in the way they expected. Because look how interesting it is. They say, yeah, I don't know, isn't this guy, if, if it were really the, the guy we're waiting for, shouldn't he come from like, I don't know, the city of David? Well, Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that was like the twist in his backstory they didn't know about because he didn't grow up in Bethlehem, but he was born there. Like loophole yeah. prophecy fulfilled, they just didn't know it because they were expecting scripture to be fulfilled in a certain type of way. And I think it's like really kind of scary to see how you can miss God while you've got God's word in your hand. Mm-hmm. That's like exactly what these people did. They yeah. knew the Bible so well that they trusted their own understanding of it more than the God who wrote it. And even the disciples, the entire time they're with Jesus, like almost until the end, are expecting him to overthrow the Romans and create this new empire and liberate the people. And Jesus tells them a couple times, like, yeah, I'm I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And they're like, no, yes, yeah. no way. They just don't take him at his word. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all expectations. Yeah. And I think kind of like the part about, oh, well, it can't be him. He'd come from Bethlehem. And it's like the thing stopping them from believing him was just their own ignorance, really. Yeah. And I think that speaks to humanity. Like how often is the thing getting in the way of us fully trusting God, just our own misunderstanding of who he is? Mm. Like he he's not confusing. Mm. He He did not live a confusing life. We just misinterpret and, you know, what thing in our life is us thinking like, well, he'd come from Bethlehem and he's sitting there like, I did. (laughs) I did come from Bethlehem. You just don't understand. And I think that does play back in to where in the beginning of the verses they're saying, um, well, we know where he comes from. And I, I, I kind of read it as him being a little sassy. When he answers them and he's like, you do know me. You do know where I come from. And he kind of is like, let me set the record straight here. I come from God. Uh-huh. That's your answer. And he <laughs> he lays it right out there. He's not being confusing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, they wouldn't have missed it if they were in touch with the heart of God all along. Because they would have, even if it didn't make sense in their head, you're talking about the head and heart difference earlier, Jesse. Like, even if it didn't make sense in their head to see this guy who supposedly didn't come from Bethlehem as far as they knew yet, they would have been like, well, uh, I don't know if he fills all the things we know about the Messiah, but this has got to be the guy. Like the other ones say, who get it? When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Those are the people who get it, I think, in the crowd. They're like, well, maybe all the parts don't line up, but it's hard to picture somebody who looks more like the Messiah would look than this guy. And if you let the heart lead there, knowing the heart of God then the head stuff would have followed because they would have found out eventually, oh, he really did come from Bethlehem. Oh, he really does poof out of nowhere from God, just Mm -hmm. in a way we don't expect because they don't know about the virgin birth. So, but also I got to just say, 
that is so weird and interesting Tately that their expectation for the messiah was that he would like what, like almost literally materialize i guess i didn't i don't fully understand it yeah, I, so i'll preface it that way but like when i was researching and reading about it that's how i kind of understood it is that they thought he would just appear just be yeah which again he did but not in the way they knew to expect right like the virgin birth is as miraculous as if he just poofed into the temple yeah. one day mm-hmm. but it's also so incredibly deeply down in the earth human that he was born like all of us are born i think it says something that uh they they send officers to arrest him and i don't know if these would have been jewish officers or like roman officers but even they come back and are like uh, I don't think, have you guys like heard what he's saying? <laughs> like, have you seen him? You know who we're arresting here, right? <laughs> right. They're like, um, I don't know if you've seen him preach, but this guy isn't the kind you just like arrest. He's different. Something's he, up with this guy. Yeah. This is not like that other crazy preacher guy you had us lock up a couple of years back. This guy is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You kind of do get that feeling. I like the subtlety of God's power on display too, that like the first time in the chapter when the guards come, like imagine guards coming to arrest you and you just turn and you're like, here's what's actually going to happen. <laughs> and then they're like, okay. <laughs> he just turns to them and is like, I'm going to stay here for a bit. Then I'm going to go. Not yet. And that's they're just so, like, okay. That's so great. That's so good. <laughs> it's like okay? an action hero type thing. We're like, no, let me tell you how this is actually yeah. going to go down. <laughs> My time has not yet come. Yeah. They do not want to hear that. It's almost scary how, like, these guys turn on their own. The Pharisees we're talking about now, because the officers come back and they're, like, spitting venom at them. Like, have you also been deceived? And let's not, there's so much pride in this. This crowd, this these people that do not know the law is accursed. You know, they're like, don't... You're falling for him just like all the vulgar common people do. These unwashed masses. Yeah. They're like, they don't know the law. They don't know the mysteries of God. Do any of the authorities or Pharisees listen to his teaching? It's like, none of us follow him. Why would you go and listen to him? And then poor Nicodemus here. Oh, He's like, uh, I mean, can we like give him a chance maybe? And they turn on him. Yeah. Do you come from Galilee too? See that no prophet arises from Galilee. Yeah. I didn't realize that um, Nicodemus came up again. I knew, of course, about him talking to Jesus earlier in John, where we get John 3.16. But I I didn't realize that he shows up later. He does show up at the cross eventually. Wow. Um, The thing about Nicodemus here, though, is that, yes, he's like trying to reason with them. But I feel like we're still seeing the fear control him because the Pharisees, essentially the Pharisees are turning to the guards and trying to call them dumb. Like none of us learned people would believe that. And what a perfect moment would that have been for Nicodemus to be like, I do. Mm, And he kind of waits until he can just kind of like, well, have you considered this? And he's still not making a clear stand. Yeah. I mean, he's making, he's saying something. So, so points for that, but he really missed a solid chance to make a very clear stand for Christ and kind of let these guards get berated as 
unlearned, which also yeah. makes me laugh because they're I'm going to try to find the exact wording in the verse here. They say um, this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. OK, well, whose job is it to teach them the law? Ooh. Like, it, it just seems Uh-oh. like a backwards burn to me. Yeah, yeah it really is. Way. Like, like uh, you're just admitting you didn't do your job well. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's a really good point. Wow, Nicodemus does more than nothing, but he doesn't go as far as he could. And yeah. this is probably a very relatable feeling when you're like, well, I, I'll put in a word for the Lord there. I, I, maybe I planted a seed. <laughs> it's always the seed planting. <laughs> we all walk around with our bag of seeds. But there's like the rich young ruler too, um, I'm reminded of who uh, comes to Christ and says like, I've done it. I, I think I've upheld everything. What more can I do? And Jesus gives him the hardest, hardest thing, which is sell all your possessions and follow me. And I think the equivalent of that for Nicodemus was give up your position here, be laughed at and mocked by these Pharisees, risk your life, which not saying all these things as if like, I could do that. That'd be easy. Just, just give up your position and (laughs) risk your life. No big deal. But yeah, very well put, Taylor, that fear kind of holds him back in this instance. Mm. That is sad. It's sad, but it's so relatable because I think like the rich young ruler who was asked to give up all his possessions and like Nicodemus, who we can infer is kind of being asked to give up his position. I don't even want to say this, but I probably should. Probably Jesus asks each of us for the hardest thing he could ask each of us. Mm hmm. Maybe it wouldn't be that hard for you to give up all your possessions. You might be somebody who's wired that way where you're like, yeah, let's go. Let's do this thing on the ground. Let's let's get there serving people right where they're at in the middle of poverty. I'm giving it all up. Okay, maybe he's asking you to do that and give up your this, whatever it is for you. And you're like, whoa, Jesus, not that one though, not that thing. He's probably asking each of us to give up the thing that's hardest, to give up like in terms of what our heart shouldn't be attached to still, like those things that he needs to work out of us. I I don't know if there's like a little redemption for him in here, Nicodemus. I mean, because he's clearly a good guy. He's just not quite all the way there yet. It's so interesting to me that the Pharisees are berating the people, the commoners, the, mm-hmm. the this crowd, and the name Nicodemus means victory of the people. Oh, does it? Yeah. Hmm. Like demos is the word that the Greeks would use just the masses at large. And Nicodemus is victory of the people. So I want to believe that if nothing else, and maybe his example through scripture, but maybe even in his own personal life, he like lived into becoming somebody who was like, no, I'm going to stand for the one who's really on for the good of the people and that's that's the one who's ultimately killed for the people jesus right nicodemus i did not know that well jesus says at one point talking to his disciples and the people if anybody wants to follow me they have to i think he actually uses the verbiage hate their father and mother or have to leave them no he uses the strong words very strong words and it's not to say if you (laughs) if you want to love jesus you got to hate mom and dad. <laughs> right. But if you love your family and your friends and the things of the world more than you love him, if you are willing to sacrifice Jesus for what you have here, 
then you're not following him. It's not necessarily a to, to live a Christian life, you have to be impoverished. You have to constantly be suffering and just make life miserable. But if you're called to that, yeah. Jesus has to be the most important thing. Yeah. I've got to have my heart in such a place somehow by his grace that if he did, I'd be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Like I'd be, I'd be willing to give it up, Lord. Would I? Would I be willing to say, all right, I'll be laughed at by my peers. I'll lose my position of teaching authority I'll be counted among the the common, stupid people, as the Pharisees would think of them, for your name's sake. Because you know what? The wisdom of this world is foolish in your eyes anyways, God. We don't get there on our own. Tately, I know you research things, and so maybe you know something about this. Maybe you don't know any more about it than I do either. But I was really interested when I read that in verse 40 and 41, where some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Then it goes on to say, others said, this is the Christ. So who's the prophet? Yeah, when I'm seeing that, Moses. I'm like... So a lot of people truly believed that Moses was going to return. Wow. And I didn't I didn't do a lot of research into it to say like, oh, it's because they thought he was the Messiah. I, we don't know. We say we're not Bible scholars here. Yeah. But a lot of people did think Moses was going to return. and do something big. And so that's the discrepancy here. Some people are like, wow, this is Moses. And other people are like, no, this is Christ. There's a difference. Wow. (laughs) That's so interesting. I have a little footnote here in my Bible that says uh, the prophet is mentioned in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, which says the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly. I in yeah, is that talking about Moses? Well, the like who's me? speaking there? I think it's Moses talking because he says a prophet like me. I think um, we're finding that the Jewish people took things very literally. <laughs> yeah, I suddenly yeah. appear like me. <laughs> yeah, right mm-hmm. for real. But what's but here's the crazy thing: it's like they did take it super literally. But it was fulfilled. It yeah. really was. Like Jesus is like, hello, I am a prophet like Moses. That it really was fulfilled. It's not like they shouldn't have been waiting for God to keep his word. It's like, no, he's going to keep his word. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be able to also let go of how you expect it to happen. Mm-hmm. Like my expectations are not the inspired authority of God. God's heart. And his word, that's what's inspired, God's word, not Mm. my interpretation of Mm. God's word. My interpretation always has to be able to catch up with really the heart of God that we see in Jesus. And I really feel like we're looking at people that can be so much like us sometimes, where we hold to how we interpret the word over the one who the word is about in the first place. Mm -hmm. If we're being honest with ourselves and we're we're doing a really accurate heart search of our flaws, I think we'd be kind of glad that our interpretation doesn't become <laughs> truth because yeah. um, I make mistakes. I'm flawed. I have silly thoughts sometimes. And I'm glad that we have a God that's bigger than that and bigger than my little human understanding. I wouldn't want him to be able to fit into my thought bubbles because that'd be scary yeah right (laughs) no it's gonna be bigger it's gonna be more 
but it's not going to contradict because Jesus was more than what they expected, but he didn't contradict what they could have already known from their Bible. He didn't change anything that was in their Bible, but he was so much bigger than it that they missed him. I think if God does fit perfectly into the little bubble of your intellect, you run the risk of becoming like the Pharisees who said, we understand God. We, we've we memorized it. We've done a little research. We know who the Messiah is going to be beyond the shadow of a doubt. And I think they did put God in a bubble. Oh, yeah. And that's why they didn't recognize him when he showed up outside the box. Yes, I like that. Jesus was tearing down a lot of what they had erected too, but more their tradition than actual scripture. Like Definitely. When, uh, Jesus attacks the Pharisees multiple times for replacing God's law with human tradition. Jesus always goes back to the heart of what each of the laws was about rather than just making it a list of rules, but they liked their list of rules. Yes, yes, that's so true. Yeah. He always does take it back to the heart of what God was actually asking them for in the first place, which is just so cool. Jesus would not be that interesting. In fact, Jesus would just be like, he wouldn't be Jesus if he showed up and was like, that whole thing's wrong. Throughout your Old Testament, I got a new book. It's easier and <laughs> it makes God seem generally happier and nicer. Right. Like that's that's who we sometimes paint Jesus as. But that's so boring and Frankly, that's that's heretical and blasphemous. Mm -hmm. Jesus shows up, loves and knows the Old Testament better than anybody and shows it to be a more important word of God than anybody gave it credit for. It goes deeper and has more power to change hearts than anybody realized. And, and he says, get to know me and you're going to see so much more than you ever could have seen before. Mm -hmm. He does such a good job of knowing when to use the culture and his understanding of it to make his point and when to directly contrast it. And I think we see that time and again, like with, you know, this is my cup and, you know, it symbolizes the marriage ritual. And, and we see it over and over again where so many things Christ is doing in our time, we read it and we're like, okay, cool. But in that moment, it had direct cultural significance. And I think that actually plays really well into the water section hmm. of this chapter. Oh. Um, if we can kind of yeah, look yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, we didn't even touch on that. Yeah, because oh, that's a moment where he is using a feast that is happening, a culturally significant moment that's happening to make his point because it says the last day of the feast is when he gets up and talks, right? Right. That's the Feast of Tabernacles. It oh. lasts eight days. Its focus is water. The oh. first seven days, they take there. There's a lot of water things happening. <laughs> so <laughs> just there's cisterns water. around. There's wells. <laughs> like you can you can look it up. But um, another thing they're doing is, and I might not say it correctly, but they're taking water from the pool of S Siloam or something like uh -huh. that, and they're carrying it in a golden pitcher and pouring it at the altar. And it's to remind the people of how God provided water for the Jewish people in the desert. When he, like, you know, had them strike the rock, they got water. So they they love remembering things like that. So it's, hey, this is happening. Remember the water. Remember God provides water. Remember the Israelites were thirsty and in desperate need and God provided water. That's the first seven days. He gets up and talks on the eighth day. The eighth day, there's no water. They stop doing that and instead they focus on praying for it. Oh, my goodness. And so it's kind of like... That's 
the when is so significant. And then there's the where, which they're assuming was outside of the temple. And even the how is interesting because this is like him combating religious and cultural norms and playing into them is just the fact that he stood and spoke. Hmm. Religious leaders would remain seated in their ceremonial chairs. Hmm. Just the fact that he got up and started yelling something would have been like, whoa, what's this this guy guy? doing? Plus, we don't really see him yelling a lot. Um, We normally see him um, in like a quieter way. So the fact that like the when, the where, and the how was all very significant, I feel like it takes these couple small verses from being like, oh, yeah, he started talking about water. We've heard that in Sunday school Mm -hmm. to being – he knew what he was doing. He was very intentional. And the people around him in that moment would have understood the point he was making. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John specifies he was talking about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He does so much foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really cool. Foresha- which is so neat to see like old and new being married here because of Old Testament, New Testament. I had no, I had never, I've never known that. I, maybe I've heard a sermon on that. I've never heard. I, I've, I've never read this passage tately and thought, oh yeah, the water thing has significance. I've always just been like, it's like worship songs are these days. You talk <laughs> about water because it's, it's water. It's liquid. It's, it's great. It cleans stuff. Water. Yay. Hydration. Yeah. And it's not the only time we see living water, so it doesn't seem that unique. Yeah. But like, I've never known that. That this is like, he didn't just stand up on the last day because he was like, anybody else going to go? Anybody else? <laughs> okay, I got something to say. Like, and like, he's not, just, that's not what it means on the last day. Wow. I had never known that, that that's the day that they're praying for God to provide water. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, oh, you want living water? Like the kind that actually solves all the problems? Here it is. Man, that's awesome. That's so cool. And like, he's foreshadowing Jesse. The spirit being like, like this is, the spirit hasn't even happened yet. We've got a whole book till, till <laughs> right. God's spirit comes and lives in all his people. Um, and that's like, you're seeing now this great, like this, this, this kind of channel being opened. Um, we'll use the water metaphor. It's like the water is joining from one, one river flowing over to the other. Like you're seeing how what was talked about, prayed about, foreshadowed in the old Testament gets fulfilled because of Jesus in what he starts in bringing the spirit and, this whole big redemption plan. It's all one big story, man. Is it any coincidence that they say the spirit is poured out among the people? (laughs) No, it can't be coincidence. (laughs) How could it be a coincidence? Right. It's like, (laughs) that's just too good. Ah, this is so cool. What a cool book that we do not know all about yet. What a cool God that we do not have all figured out yet. Thankfully don't have all figured out (laughs) yet. As Tately pointed out. The worst part is these are the verses when you're reading your Bible that you kind of, at least I've been guilty of like skimming past. Autopilot. uh, Oh, feeding of the 5,000. That's cool. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I know this. I autopilot Um, these verses. Yeah, they were sent to arrest Jesus, living water, division among people. We skim by it. Well, and it's funny how it is important to just read it. You have to keep rereading. You have to keep Mm, learning and you have to kind of, 
I also autopilot. So it's like having that discipline to like read it for what it is in that moment because it's living. And so it's like, what, like, let me, I'm not saying it changes, but it's, it's going into reading scripture, like speak to me what you want to say to me today. Yes. And not to be a Pharisee where I'm reading this already assuming I understand it. Yes. And that's, you have to be so intentional about that. Thank you for joining us for If That Makes Sense, the family life podcast about what life is really like as a young adult following Jesus. If you enjoy the show, please send it to a friend. Your genuine appreciation of the show is the best way for word to get out. And it would make our day if you left us a rating and a review wherever you found this episode. Family Life has more great original podcasts that you can check out at familylife.org slash podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you along for the next one.